This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It was sort of mangled and looked to be under great pain. So they had to call the landlord to open the door. I try not to think about what they discovered. From his waistband, he pulled out a handgun, and I felt sick to my stomach. Listener discretion advised. You're just moments away from true tales of terror that will leave you breathless. From Disturbed Media, I'm your host, Chad, and this is disturbed. Big thanks to the ultra-addictive, binge-worthy mobile puzzle game Best Fiends for their support. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. This episode is also sponsored by This Is Actually Happening, a weekly podcast from Wondery that features extraordinary true stories of moments that changed absolutely everything for ordinary people. Listen to the latest episode of This Is Actually Happening on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. Well, if you haven't noticed, it's been a real scorcher out there for much of the country, but we're bringing the heat in our own way. New merch designs. Go check them out in the store at disturbedpodcast.com shop and grab yourself a t-shirt, hoodie, mug, phone case, and much more. And with that... Let's get rolling. Our first experience comes to us from Reddit user Benny, and we learn about the suspected possession of his friend. Performing this experience is Tom Aglio. I'm a now 19-year-old guy who for the past three to four years has experienced a lot of unexplainable things, a few of which I'll talk about here, whether for answers or just to share with you. My first run-ins with supernatural occurrences started when I was 15 to 16, using a Ouija board with my friends. I've never been the kind to worry about rules, but something about the unknown signifies to me that rules must be followed. So even at this age, I was very cautious, or so I thought, with this stuff. While originally using the board for fun with my friends, I started to become more interested into the perceptual knowledge the entity could indulge me in. Turning it from fun into a deep obsession in a short span of time. 
My friends noticed the turn too, as it affected all of us, and we became hungry for more things the entities could tell us. We started asking about the future, if I would get caught sneaking out that night, if they knew our loved ones who'd passed away, if they had any answers or what our secrets were, just stupid things like that. It was so surreal, but it was happening right in front of us. The planchette would move erratically and aggressively with certain combinations of friends using it and others observing. It would stop working when someone certain was there and maybe was a skeptic on the whole idea of this even being viable. The entities would encourage certain combos of my friends to use the board at certain times, moving faster and clearer than when others used it. A lot of my friends became interested in it with three or four of us being more on the obsessed level. This is where it gets strange. We start seeing smiley faces randomly appearing around us in random locations, sometimes on a car window, sometimes drawn into dust on old furniture in one of our basements, etc. They were differently drawn, which signaled to us who was drawing. There were about eight main entities that spoke to us, at least that's what we determined from the info we received, but only three different faces. One was a smiley face with the eyes as lines, and one of them was a face with the eyes as dots. We were told that the dotted eyes were from the entity that called itself Harry, short for Harriet. We were told that the entity frowned upon their full name and preferred to be considered a tomboy, but identified itself as a young girl. The other face was supposedly drawn by one of my friend's past relatives. I won't reveal the name, but they made themselves known to the friend, and we had no reason to doubt it. Now the third face, the third one started appearing after introducing one of my other friends to the board, and we used it in his house downstairs in his room. His room was in the basement, which was finished and had electricity and all. Now, this was weird. The whole experience in his room using it with him was strange because of the energy. The energy in the room was different that time, which I now recognize as the dormant part of me signaling negativity. But at the time, we all just felt the temperature drop noticeably. Tingles down our shoulder blades and attitudes changing from excited to anxious slash more serious. My friend who we introduced to the board that day started to get extremely angry and told us off saying the board was fake and it doesn't work and commanded us to put it away and he never wants to see it again. We all look at each other but do as he says since we're in his home. Everything else preceding that on that day went normally. The next day my other friends and I are together and ask my friend whose house we were at last night to come to IHOP with us. He agrees with a simple sure. We pick him up from his house to be greeted by a whole different person. Disheveled hair and clothes, never once cracked a smile, bags under his eyes, just completely out of character. He barely speaks with us as we eat and we start to get concerned about his well-being. One of my friends asks him what's wrong and he snaps at her, tells her to stop asking him questions and to just leave him alone. At that point, alarm bells are going off in all of our heads. There's something not right about this, but we don't think about the board being the center of the problem. I look over at the window which he is sitting by and I see a very strange smiley face drawn on it. Not strange in looks, but the moment I looked at it, I was hit with a wave of nausea and horror, seemingly coming from nowhere. This smile face had line eyes, but horizontally, not vertically. I point it out to my friends and their faces instantly go white and I knew they feel the same way I did when I saw it. One of my friends was terrified to the point that he just left and didn't want to be around the board anymore. To this day, he says it's because he doesn't believe in it, but up until that point, he was as obsessed and attached to all of it that I know it's just denial. After he leaves, the rest of us leave, as well as to head to one of my other friend's houses to calm down. We get into the car, and we just feel my friend's energy turning into aggressiveness and hostility, so I offer him the front seat to try to calm him down. Really couldn't think of another way at the time. 
The moment that the heater turns on and the front window starts clearing up, an image in dew on the windshield just doesn't clear from it. And I didn't take a picture of it, and even if I did, I probably wouldn't have it by now, but it was right in front of that friend, and it was the most horrific thing I've ever seen. It was like a face with its mouth wide open, eyes closed, throwing something up from its mouth, but the face wasn't human. It was sort of mangled and looked to be under great pain. With things coming out of its mouth, something tells me it was blood, but I can't be sure as it wasn't too detailed on the windshield. After we saw the face, we are blown away, at a loss for words. And my friend in shotgun just opens the door and leans out and pukes everywhere. He didn't even eat what he ordered at IHOP, but everything just came up. It was absolutely terrifying, and we don't know what to do until he asks to be brought home. We say yes, kind of glad we can separate ourselves from that energy at the moment. After that, we go to our friend's house, but keep seeing that new smiley face everywhere, and in greater numbers than we see the other ones. For the next few weeks after that incident, we shy away from the board, using it less and less frequently, the whole time my friend falling into a deeper hole, starting from texts from his parents wondering if we knew why he was so aggressive because he's been yelling and screaming at them for minor things, to him sending pictures to us of him crying and begging for us to help him because he feels so lonely. He kept saying something about a, she keeps telling me I'm worthless, she says I should die, she says you guys are talking about me. If you knew the guy, you'd know that that's so unlike him. He always was a goofy guy and loved to joke and play pranks on people, etc. And he never let any living being affect him verbally like that. It started to become more void of emotion and anything that would signify he was even remotely human rather than cries for help at a point. He would just send us random quotes and random numbers that didn't mean anything to us at the time. He would detest light and need it to be dark in his room and at a point begged us to give him the Ouija board telling us he changed his mind and he needed to do it again. He wouldn't eat or drink anything saying to us that he no longer needed it and that something else was providing him sustenance. To which we then thought he was possessed. He never used words like that and he's never serious and usually anything he said was said as a joke or playfully. We call a church in our area and they told us if he wasn't willing to receive help then they couldn't give it besides through prayer and protection through us. They told us if he was abandoning his health then we should contact a counseling agency or law enforcement instead if he was a danger to himself or others. They also told us we could contact his parents to give the pastor permission to bless his house, but we declined because his parents don't know, and he made it very clear that bad things would happen if we contacted his family about his well-being. There was no real conclusion to this physically, we didn't go to his house and dump holy water on his head when he was sleeping, but it concluded in a different way. My friends and I during this whole experience had been seeing each other in our dreams, almost as if we could communicate but without words, mainly with emotions if that makes sense. I remember having a dream a few nights after contacting the church and seeing all of my friends there surrounding our now okay friend. We were all aware of each other without really looking at each other, but I knew it was us and I knew the guy in the middle of us was him. It was strange as though something dark around him was beckoning us to move away, but there was also a pressure at my back telling me to step forward, almost like a battle amidst the dream. I noticed in my dream the one friend who now denies everything that happened step away and completely turn his attention elsewhere, but me and two of my other friends persist on stepping towards our friend as if we needed to. I remember putting an immense amount of effort into stepping forward, and once I did, everything was just light. Not necessarily bright, but it was a blinding light that you couldn't not see. I woke up sweating and immediately got a FaceTime from one of my friends who had also taken the step forward. 
asking if I just had a dream, me saying yes, us freaking out, etc. We contact our friend and got the same response and again called the denial friend, who was at the time still sleeping, unbothered. Next day, we get a text via Snapchat group chat from our possessed friend and he was acting completely normal, like nothing happened. Said, what are you guys talking about, lol. Apparently, he either didn't remember the last couple weeks or was hiding it, because he said we were all crazy and that he was fine the whole time. He narrowed it down to him joking about it, which we knew was a lie. Even his parents knew the difference and texted us saying thank you for whatever we did. To this day, everything is still normal. We are all still friends and it definitely brought us closer together. Except for the denial friend, he's no longer around. So, what do you guys think happened? I have way more stories to sort through, but I felt this one I should share first. In a different post in the future, I'll talk about more of my experiences with the board and what it taught me. I have no way to prove credibility, but I promise you guys I wouldn't spend my time writing a fictional ghost story. This is all how I remember it, and I'm still friends with the people who were with me then, so they can vouch. I still have questions about it to this day. If you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, get additional bonus episodes and your own shout out. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. Next up, our title story coming to us from Reddit user Puzzlehead. And we hear how lucky she was to not be in her apartment on that day. And a trigger warning, this one contains violence and murder. Performing this experience is Nicole Doolin. It was a Thursday in August of 2002. I was 12 years old and had lived with my mom for the past six years since she and my dad got divorced. Soon after their divorce, my mom met a new man who moved in with us a few months later. Looking back, I can remember a few times where he'd shown red flag behavior. Like one evening, maybe in 1999, when we, that's me and my sisters, we shared the weekends between our mom and dad. We're watching a TV show finale very late. He was drunk and came into the living room, smashed the TV with his hands. Back then, the TV screens were made of glass, so he cut his hand badly and yelled at us while bleeding. My mom forgave him after, and he probably came up with a million excuses in the following days. Anyway, in the beginning of 2002, my mom finally decided to have a break in their relationship, and me and her moved into a different apartment a few miles away to get some distance. Me, still being the naive kid who thought she could have two dads, wasn't very excited about the idea. I already hated seeing my mom and dad split, and now I had to let go of a man I'd gotten used to over the course of all these years. I was still just a kid and ignored all the signs, and I even remember resenting my mom for leaving him. As I said, my story starts on Thursday the 8th of August, 2002. I was in school and not feeling very well. I also noticed some type of rash on my hips. So my teacher sent me to the doctor and the diagnosis was shingles. I still see the doctor right in front of me, telling me that if the rash gets worse and goes all the way around my hip, I could potentially die. So I went home for the day and was allowed to stay home the next day, Friday the 9th as well. On Friday morning, my mom woke me up about 20 minutes before she went to work so she could check on me, have a little breakfast with me and bring me back to bed to make sure I'd rest. 
After she left, I remember lying in my bed and being relieved the rash had gotten better overnight when I suddenly heard a noise from the hallway. My room was not connected to the hallway, so I could only see into the adjacent room. And since my mom had left a couple minutes prior, I assumed it was her and called for her. Seconds later, my mom's ex-boyfriend appeared in my doorframe, asking me what I was doing home and why I wasn't in school. After I told him that I was sick and had shingles, he immediately said to me how much he missed us kids and my mom, how sorry he is for not being there, that he would love to talk to my mom and make things right. Since I was still unhappy about their breakup, I said stupid shit like I missed him too and I wanted them to get back together. Can't believe I seriously believed that at some point. After a few minutes of small talk and him pretending to care about my well-being, he made me promise not to tell my mom that he came by before he left. I obviously told her the minute she came home because I couldn't keep secrets from her, and I also just wanted her to know. And again, me being a stupid 12-year-old did not even question how he even entered the apartment without a key, without someone opening the door for him. I never in a million years would have thought that this might be illegal or inappropriate behavior. I knew that man and he had lived with us for a number of years now. The same day, just a few hours later, my dad drove me to my grandma's as I had planned weeks in advance to stay the weekend with her and I already felt much better. My mom was supposed to pick me back up on Sunday, but on that morning my mom hadn't answered her phone for about 12 hours, which was unusual. A friend of the family picked me up, drove me home, and still no news from my mom. Since there's a rule in my country that a person has to be missing for 24 hours before breaking the door to the apartment, and she went missing on Saturday evening, the police were only allowed to open the apartment on Sunday evening. My sisters, my dad, and me all went inside. I grabbed all of my school supplies and went to the bathroom. After exiting the bathroom, I found my mom's dental prosthesis on a counter in the hallway. Not realizing it could be potential evidence, I picked it up and brought it into the kitchen where my dad was sitting with a police officer. My dad later told me that as soon as he saw the prosthesis, he knew something had happened. My mom had her teeth fixed just a few months prior and would not leave the house without it. After picking up our stuff from the apartment, my dad drove us back to his house and we waited. Monday morning and still no message from my mom. We did not go to school that Monday but planned on returning the next day. Tuesday morning I woke up on my own, even though dad had said he would wake us up and take us to school. I was about to go downstairs when I saw the village priest leaving our house. The police had found my mother the night before. On Monday evening, one of my mom's neighbors went upstairs to do laundry in the attic when he noticed one of the doors was locked. No resident from the apartment building had a key to this specific room, so they had to call the landlord to open the door. I try not to think about what they discovered, since it was the middle of the summer and my mom had been dead for around 48 hours. My mom was murdered by her ex-boyfriend after he returned to the apartment on Saturday afternoon to talk. The last person my mom spoke to was my aunt. Shortly before they hung up, my mom said, There's someone knocking on the door. It's him again. I gotta hang up. Call you later. He gained access to the apartment the same way he did on Friday. With a credit card. 
He was arrested only a day later in a bar after telling the barman that he had done something really stupid. Well, no shit, Sherlock. Eight months later, in April of the following year, me and my older sister had to testify in the murder trial. But before we gave our testimony, our father argued with the court and made sure that we didn't have to face the killer. I remember sitting down in a large and very cold room, my father right by my side, holding my hand, lawyers to my right and to my left as well as the judge in front of me. I remember being asked about the day he came into our apartment and answering all of the questions as truthfully as I could. They sentenced him to nine years in prison. Manslaughter and affect was the official cause. Seven of those nine years he spent behind bars, and as far as I know, he moved back close to our hometown, close to where it all happened. Over the years, people have told me that I was lucky. He could have killed me and my mom if she had been still at home that day, if she had left just a few minutes later. Maybe she would have ran into him downstairs or, or he had gained entry to the apartment while we were still eating breakfast. Lots of ifs and could-haves. I know I won't be able to change the past, but I sure hope I can control my future. So to my mom's ex-boyfriend, the man who does not have a name because he doesn't deserve one, let's not meet ever again. Just recently, I started looking around for a game that could give me a good challenge. Something that needs more than just the same boring strategy round after round. And boy was I able to find it in Best Fiends. The mobile puzzle game that's always leaving your brain feeling refreshingly challenged. Think of it like your brain stepping out of a steaming hot sauna, or getting a deep tissue massage. Best Fiends has tons of fun puzzles to solve along with something seriously lacking in many other games. Variety. The great thing is that there's something new to play every day, and you get cute little collectible characters. What's not to love? And when you defeat the slugs, you get special keys to the bonus crates to help you along the way. The reason I love Best Fiends is it allows me to unwind and gives my brain a workout at the same time. So download the 5 star rated puzzle game Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. This Is Actually Happening is a weekly podcast from Wondery that features extraordinary true stories of moments that changed absolutely everything for ordinary people. In a new episode, you'll hear a story told by a man who, as a boy, was abused by his dad. Years later, as an adult, the man makes a shocking discovery about his father's secret life. These riveting stories are told in first person, so you can experience it through their eyes. They're unforgettable, perspective-changing stories. Once you listen to your first episode, you'll be binging the whole back catalog and wanting even more. That's what happened to me. The stories you hear are so in-depth and personal, you feel like you're right there in the room with the person. A recent episode I listened to that had me hooked asked the question, what if your daughter committed a seemingly unforgivable act? And in that episode, a mother struggles to raise her child through a series of chaotic relationships all while her daughter's mental illness spirals out of control. Ultimately, an unthinkable decision would change their lives forever. So listen to the latest episode of This Is Actually Happening on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. 
From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule, history so interesting, it's criminal. Now back to the show. And finally, we hear from Reddit user Santmag, and we discover that what could have happened would have changed everything. Performing this experience is Vinay Narayani. In 2017, in my last semester of high school, some friends and I decided to skip the pep rally for the girls' varsity basketball team making the playoffs for the first time. My last period of the day was theater tech. I was just taking it as a fine arts credit, and two friends of mine in the grade below me were in that class with me. We decided to skip the pep rally, leave school early, and go to the nearby Taco Bell like we did every day. However, administrators and security guards patrolled the parking lots to catch kids trying to skip, so we took a detour through the nature trail on campus in order to avoid them. Once in the nature trail, we came across this kid I hadn't seen before. He was a skinny white kid with shaggy black hair, wearing baggy jeans and a plain white t-shirt. He was shorter than me, but the most notable thing about him was his general look of dishevelment. His hair was wild and full of leaves and twigs, his plain white t-shirt was dirty, and the knees of his jeans were stained green and brown. He seemed like he had been crawling around in the nature trail. I remember wondering if he lived there for a split second. When we came upon him, we were walking in one direction, parallel to the school and to the back of the parking lot, and he was coming directly toward us. I knew the nature trail well enough to know there was a bend that led deep into the woods, and I figured he had come from there. He was out of breath, and he looked scared. My two friends said hi to them. My friends were in the grade below me, and later told me that the kid was in their grade and was just acquaintances with my two friends. It was supposed to be just a quick hello, but I couldn't help but notice how scared he looked and how suspicious he seemed of us. He asked us what we were doing in the woods, and we told him we were skipping the pep rally. One of my friends asked, What have you been doing out here? Camping? Me and my other friend gave a nervous laugh, but the kid didn't crack a smile. He explained that he was dropped off at school that morning and was supposed to get on a bus to take him to DAEP. DAEP was the alternative school that kids who got suspended from school went to. His plain outfit started to make sense now. It was the infamous uniform of the alternative school. He then explained that he didn't want to go to the alternative school, so when his mom dropped him off, he pretended like he would wait for the bus and then hid in the nature trail the full eight hours of the school day. He was still acting really skittish, and without even looking at each other or speaking to each other, my friends and I could feel that something wasn't right, and that we were in some kind of danger. The kid looked around nervously often, as if seeing if someone might have followed us, or if we were alone in the woods. We hit him with a, All right, man, well, good luck. We're going to try to get to our cars and go home before the pep rally ends. When he heard the word cars, he perked up. He started walking with us towards the parking lot, continuing to talk. He becomes a lot more friendly, 
and asks if we can give him a ride home. We give him some half-baked excuse why we couldn't. We didn't expect him to ask that. I never met him, and my friends barely knew him. But he doesn't take no for an answer. He tells us that people were going to start looking for him pretty soon, and that he was going to be in a lot of trouble. We tell him that he'd probably be fine hiding there, that deep in the nature trail. But he tells us, Nah man, you don't understand. I broke into a car at the fellowship. He pointed in the direction of the mega church that had a parking lot that backed up to my school. I took this. From his waistband he pulled out a handgun and I felt sick to my stomach. I had never seen a gun in real life. At this point I really felt in danger. Not just because he had produced a gun, I had never really been scared of them. More so that the entire interaction felt uneasy and that the guy was already unsettling and desperate. One of my friends very cautiously tells him that he should probably just ditch it and take off somewhere, and he just stood there, staring at us for an uncomfortable amount of time. His eyes were meeting each of ours. I broke the silence by saying that we wouldn't tell anyone, but that we really had to go before the pep rally ended, and my other stupid-ass friend, who had been virtually silent the entire time, spoke up and said, yeah, and it's best we're not around if they start looking for you for that, gesturing to the handgun. His eyes narrowed and once more he asked if one of us could take him home. This time, it felt more like a command. I've never been a super brave person, but in that moment, I don't know why, I just blurted out, Nah man, I'm good. Again, there was an uncomfortable silence. Then he asked, Before you leave, do you guys want to see something? My first friend was kind of a hothead, and although he was uncomfortable with the situation, he was not afraid of conflict. Nor was I. My other friend, however, was not a fan of conflict and would always de-escalate first. We all looked at each other, and me and my first friend kind of had an unspoken understanding like, if this is gonna happen, if we have to run or fight, we might have to do it now. My other friend was very visibly afraid. He asked, what do you want to show us? And before the kid could answer, my first friend said, We don't want to see. We have to go. My first friend started briskly walking past the kid, and me and the other friend quickly followed. Within a few steps, we just started sprinting towards the parking lot. I looked back once we were about 50 steps away, and he was still standing there, watching us run. He had put the gun back in his waistband before taking a small adjacent trail back deeper into the woods. By the time we made it to the parking lot, there were police everywhere. We were sweating, out of breath, and terrified. They found the kid in the next ten minutes. Somehow, in the chaos, nobody saw us exit the nature trail and into the parking lot. But since there were so many cops in the parking lot, we just decided to head back inside through another side door to find that the door was locked. That's when an administrator found us, brought us inside, and shoved us into a classroom where we were able to talk with others and find out what was going on. This is what we could piece together from what we learned. Turns out, that kid had skipped DAEP, hid in the nature trail, broke into a car at the church, and stole a semi-automatic shotgun and a handgun from the car. After stealing the guns, he texted his girlfriend and told him that he was about to do something really terrible and that when she saw his name on the news, she should shut off the TV. He told her explicitly he was going to kill kids at school. She knew he was supposed to be in DAEP and was so worried about the text that she contacted the police. 
DAEP went on lockdown until officers got a call from a guy at the church that two guns had been stolen from his car behind the school, and that's when they put two and two together and caught him hiding in the woods. I guess when he saw me and my two friends in the nature trail, he quickly hid the shotgun, but didn't have time to hide the pistol, or didn't care enough to hide. And before we sign off, let's hear a listener's story off the hotline. Hello, my name is Shane. I worked as a chef for about a decade in New York City, and I was the chef co-owner of a restaurant in Tribeca, Manhattan, which is one of the oldest developed areas of the island. And the building that uh, we worked out of was dated over 200 years old, having been many things from, I believe, textile manufacturer to sugarcane refinery. It's had many iterations and about four different restaurants that have been in it over the span of 30 years. Having been the chef there for about seven years, we had quite a number of would be sighting and or paranormal activity happening in the space, everything from equipment malfunction from ovens being cranked up to 500 with no one touching them, to things turning on by themselves, to doors being rattled, to sightings of uh, people hanging in the basement from several different employees, uh, to two separate employees reporting scratches on their arms from unknown uh, entities. So quite common to have experiences in that space. I was leaving the restaurant moving on in my career, and I decided to deep clean the basement with one other employee that I just recently hired for the incoming new chef. I wanted to make sure everything was nice and clean and organized. So we spend the late evening scrubbing into the early morning. As we come upstairs, two stories, there's a, a basement and then a very large main dining room, open kitchen with wraparound bay windows that vaulted ceiling, a pretty epic kind of quintessential New York City space. You can get a good view of the World Trade Center. Very iconic looking in a lot of ways. As we're sitting, having a beer after we were done cleaning, see many little wisps of light moving frantically in the space, sort of everywhere, little creatures of light, the only way I would explain them, rotating around us. And it made us pretty giddy young cook who was working with me. And so all these wisps of light are moving around a very dark New York City restaurant. I decided I was hungry, and I told the, the cook that I was going to go downstairs and get us something from the walk-in. So I'm walking downstairs to the windowless basement. The other side of the wall, I start hearing laughter. And I freak out, run back upstairs, tell the cook that uh, I'm not going down there again, you know, fuck that, that's terrifying. Let's get out of here. The cook said, I'll get it. That's fine. You're making too big of a deal out of it. Uh, you're afraid. I'll go get it. So he goes down and comes running back up a couple moments later with some avocados in his hand. And I say, well, what'd you hear? What'd you hear? And I could tell by the look on his face that he had definitely heard something. And he was, uh, he was kind of giggling in that way that you did when you're really scared. And so we're both standing, eating this avocado, down by the open kitchen, and uh, just over my right shoulder, I hear 
very deep guttural laugh. He hears it too as he's standing right across from me and he looks me in the eye and we drop everything and run out of that kitchen and that's the last time I was ever in that building. The restaurant still operates. I'm sure that there's been more uh, more activity since, but uh, one of my stories. Thanks for the call, and yeah, I think I would have been out of that building even before you were. That's some creepy stuff right there. Thanks to everyone for continuing to send in your stories, whether it's via email at mystory@disturbedpodcast.com or the hotline at 701-354-3667. And we even have a form you can fill out right on our website to submit your story at disturbedpodcast.com submit. Remember, no story is too big or too small, so keep them coming. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and listener support. Thanks to those who share the show with friends and leave positive reviews. These things help new listeners find us. Follow or subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, you can get early access to our premium ad-free feed, as well as monthly bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. And a shout out to all of our newest supporters, Mary, Sandra Hurd, Tracy from Cleveland, shout out Cleveland, Ashley Hickson, Jared Burke, Natalie M, Rage Fist, and Claudia Razzo. Thanks so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.